Tim Johnston is the author of the novels Distant Sons, Descent, The Current, the story collection Irish Girl, and the young adult novel Never So Green. A New York Times, USA Today, and Indie National bestseller, Descent has been published internationally and optioned for film. Also optioned for film, The Current won the Midland Authors 2020 Adult Fiction Award, The Stories of Irish Girl won an O. Henry Prize, the New Letters Award for Writers, and the Gaval Press Short Story Award, while the collection itself won the 2009 Catherine Ann Porter Prize in Short Fiction. Tim's stories have appeared in the New England Review, New Letters, the Iowa Review, the Missouri Review, Double Take, Best Life Magazine, and Narrative Magazine, among others. And after earning degrees from the University of Iowa and the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, Tim made a living for 25 years as a carpenter. He is the recipient of the 2015 Iowa Author Award and currently lives in Iowa City, Iowa. In Distant Suns, Tim's latest novel, published by Algonquin Books, the paths of two young men collide and spark unexpected violence in a Wisconsin town where three boys went missing in the 1970s in this, quote, intricate, haunting novel. That's in the words of Michael Carita, author of An Honest Man. What if? What if Sean Cortland's old Chevy truck had broken down somewhere else? What if he'd never met Denise Givens, a waitress at a local tavern, and got into a bar fight defending her honor? Or offered a ride to Dan Young, another young man like Sean, burdened by secrets and just drifting through the small Wisconsin town? Instead, Sean enlists Dan's help with a construction job in the basement of a local, the elderly, reclusive Marianne Devereaux. And gradually, the two men come to realize that they've washed up in a place haunted by the disappearance of three young boys decades earlier. As Sean and Dan's friendship deepens and Sean gets closer to Denise and her father, they come to the attention of a savvy local detective, Corrine Viegas, who has her own reasons for digging into Dan's past and for being unable to resist the pull of the town's unsolved mystery. And with each chance connection, an irreversible chain of events is set in motion that ultimately culminates in shattering violence and the revelation of long-buried truths. Gripping and immersive, this crime novel by best-selling author Tim Johnston becomes so much more. A book about friendship and love and good hard work, and a masterful read about how the most random intersection of lives can have consequences, both devastating and beautiful. You're listening to episode 22 of Talk of the Town, After Hours, and this is Jack Donnellan, director of the news department at WVBR. A few weeks back, we sat down with Tim Johnston to discuss Descent and Distant Sons for WVBR News' latest series, Authors on Air. We got a chance to hear about Tim's process and an exclusive excerpt from his most recent novel, Distant Sons. You're about to listen to that interview in full right now. But first things first, I'd like to thank you for your listenership and thank Tim Johnston for his appearance on WVBR. Before we head into the core of the interview, here's Tim introducing himself, his background, and how he got started writing. Enjoy the episode. So it was uh, it was kind of like drawing and, and comic books. And eventually, you know, as I got a little older, I kind of grew out of the sort of comic book phase. And even even when I was still drawing, uh, I, I began to write longer, 
you know, the, the narrative part, the written part of comic book stories uh, for me began to get longer and longer uh, until, right. you know, the things I was writing were more like um, stories with illustrations. So I, and then I went, as you mentioned, I, I'm from, I, I'm in Iowa City and I grew up here and I went to college here as an undergraduate. And this is also um, the home of the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is probably the preeminent um, graduate writers workshop in the country, if not the world. And um, that didn't really have much influence on me early on. Uh, I went to the University of Iowa because I lived here and uh, they let me in. <laughs> and we, you know, it was affordable because I was in state. Uh, but while I was there, uh, I started as an art major and um, I got I got disenchanted with being an art major and I was casting around for different majors and I was looking through the uh, course book and I noticed all these classes where you read books. And I said, I love to read books. And I just, well, that's what I want to do. What's this? And uh, it turns out that was an English major or a, an English literary major. And it was while I was an English major, you know, reading books and um, getting into literature in a more serious way. Uh, I'd always read, but getting into it, you know, on the college level. Uh, that I began to sort of uh, tinker with uh, taking writing classes. And this led inevitably to more writing classes. And um, one nice thing about, you know, it wasn't so true back then, but now you can you can major, you can get your undergraduate degree in creative writing. Back then you you really couldn't do it. But because I was at that Writers Workshop University, there were a number of uh, writing and fiction writing courses available being taught by graduate students who were in the writer's workshop. So I took a number of those. And uh, at one point, uh, before I understood what I was gonna do with my English major, uh, which I had no clue. And that's a kind of, you know, I'm not the only one who's gone through that, but one of my professors said, well, have you ever thought about graduate school? And I had never thought about graduate school. And this bulb went off It's like, well, this is a good way not to have to figure out what to do with right. my English major for another couple of years. So I applied to a couple of schools and I was lucky enough to get into one. And then my an MFA program at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. And I went there and there I discovered that, yeah, what I really do want to do is write and I want to write fiction. And that program gave me the time to figure that out. Um, it gave me, you know, the skills and the degree to probably go out and teach uh you know, lower level writing courses at universities. Um, but I really, I really wasn't into that idea of doing that. Uh, and that, and so instead, when I graduated, I went to uh, Japan, where a friend of mine was living as a banker, and he invited me to come out and hang out with him. And I taught uh, English to Japanese businessmen and women. And I started writing uh, my first novel, which was never published, thankfully. And that's kind of how it all began. Do you think there's like, um, I mean, obviously writing's a craft, carpentry is a craft. Do you think that you kind of find inspiration in both? Yeah, I never got to that part, the carpentry part. So that came later um, after I had been in uh, Japan for a while. And then I came back and 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 uh, built computers for a while, built and repaired computers in Iowa City. And when I got tired of doing that or another opportunity came up, uh, it was to help my father build a house or remodel a house um, for his uh, wife's, my stepmother's 
mother who was coming to town. So I I just, you know, out of uh, just happenstance, I took up carpentry, started working with my father, and that led to more carpentry work. And I ended up going out to California where friends of mine were trying to be actors in, law, in, in Hollywood and ended up doing uh, working on sets and things out there, you know, movies and commercials. And while I was doing that, I met a guy who was a, a serious contractor who worked on, you know, super nice Beverly Hills, you know, houses and did really first rate work. And he sort of, through working with him, I unlearned every bad habit I'd learned working with my father and uh, became a serious, you know, skilled carpenter. And that's how I paid for the writing uh, for the, you know, for pretty much the next 20 years or so. Right. Um, so but to answer your question, yes, there, there are definite, you know, there are definite, uh, parallels between trying to write well and trying to do good quality carpentry work. And I think the most essential one is, uh, taking one's time, uh, which was not my father's strong suit. He wanted to get things done. <laughs> it sometimes just showed, but taking your time and paying uh, real attention, really or close attention to detail. Um, you know, they there's a saying in carpentry that the best toolbox, the best tool in the toolbox is your eye. And uh, I think that's also, you know, clearly true in writing. You have to, or I have to really um, see very clearly what is before me, you know, what's in my mind and, and find a way to transcribe it to the page. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, um, before we get into your to your latest book, obviously Distant Sons, um, one of the books that's received a lot of attention uh, that was on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time was uh, Descent. Uh, and so um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about it uh, before uh, and maybe give our, our listeners a sense of, of, of what you write about uh, before actually giving you an opportunity to, to, to read an excerpt of uh, of Distant Sons, which is your more recent novel. Uh, but again, Descent uh, is the story of a family undone by the disappearance of a daughter who went out for a morning run and, and didn't come back. Uh, and the girl's, the girl's vanishing um, on a late summer vacation morning, uh, which was all the more devastating for its mystery, was the beginning of the family's journey down increasingly divergent and solitary paths. Uh, and, and all that continues to bind them uh, are, or to each other are the questions that they can never bring themselves to ask. At what point does a family stop searching? At what point does a girl stop fighting for her life? And so you really capture uh, this story that you've created here with a lot of emotion. You capture all the terrifying thoughts, the loneliness, the perspectives of all the different folks in the family. Uh, and... Uh, We've had listeners actually, after we promoted this, call us and tell us what a great read it's been and how, um, uh, I guess, how detailed uh, how detailed your writing is uh, and how, how you're able to get into the to the mind of each individual character uh, in, in terms of like the structure of, of Descent. And then the current uh, is about two young women who leave their college campus uh, in the dead of winter and they take a 700, not 7,000, 700 mile drive north to Minnesota, uh, and they find themselves suddenly fighting for their lives in the icy waters of the Black Root River. Uh, it's just miles from their home. Uh, and so one girl's survival and the other girl's death um, 
stuns the citizens of a small Minnesota town. It also uh, brings back memories of another young woman who lost her life in the same river 10 years earlier. Uh, and the question is, does is the killer still alive among them? Uh, and so uh, a father has to relive his pain. Uh, and also there's this desire of bringing the killer to justice. Uh, and so I see similar themes in um, in the current and in dissent. And obviously, as you mentioned, it's it's uh, some of the same characters that are in both the current and dissent. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, well, first of all, how you how you come up with such an intricate plot, and then also how you get into the heads of the different characters uh, to make the story come alive? So uh, sure. Um, well, first, I'd like to say that, yeah, there's one character from each of those two books in the third book. Um, there's no carryover from Descent to the Current. They're completely separate uh, stories and characters. Um, and it's only in the third book that these two worlds sort of collide through these two characters. Um, thank you for thank you for the clarification. Sure. No worries. Uh, so the you know, we were talking about carpentry a minute ago, and in terms of descent, um, I had not been, I had not been writing for a while. This was like 2007, I think. And my father and my stepmother, who I mentioned earlier, had, were trying to build a uh, vacation house in the Colorado Rockies when we were, when we were uh, not too much younger, but as a family, we used to go out to the Rockies and ski in the winter and they would always rent this big old house or something and pay a fortune for it which was seemed to them just crazy after a while and they say well let's build our own house over there which was not a cheap thing to do but they thought they could um, you know rent it out when they weren't using it right. uh, of course they my father did this around 2007 and around 2008 the great recession hit and nobody was renting any of those big houses and uh, we ended up not being able to hang on to that house. But anyway, that's a that's a bit of a uh, divergence there. He needed someone to go out there and do the finished carpentry work on the house. At the time, I was I was back living in Iowa City. I'd come back from Los Angeles, and uh, I kept putting him off and putting him off because I was perfectly happy to sit around in Iowa City, not writing or making any money for some reason. And finally, he uh, he got me to go out there and do the finish work, and it was. While I was out there in this house all by myself up in the mountains, and I'm a Midwestern guy by nature, so the mountains are endlessly interesting and enthralling to me. Right. And I go out on bike rides and walks and such and um, just soak it all in. But uh, it was while I was working on this house and one of these sort of monotonous jobs, which is to, you know, one of the first things you do in a in a new construction as you get the walls done and you paint all the walls because it makes a life a lot easier after you put in all the cabinetry and everything the walls are already basically painted so i was painting you know a pretty large house uh top to bottom and i began to get this idea um of these of this family who comes from the midwest like i did in this case wisconsin up to the rocky mountains for some reason and and because it's me, something bad is going to happen to them. And, and that was, you know, I, this is, this is sort of my cue to, 
for this bit of writing advice that I've always sort of thought about and tried to follow. And I think it's ultimately uh, attributable to Stephen King, uh, but it goes something like, you know, if you get a great idea for a story, don't write it down in your, in your, in your notebook um, because notebooks are, are where uh, bad stories go to be immortalized, but do your best to forget it. And if you can't forget it, then start writing. And so I've always tried to follow that advice and, and not just stop what I'm doing and try to write down every genius thought that comes to me because God knows they're, you know, they're few and far between. And so eventually, but I, they, I was sort of accompanied by this family long enough that one day, and the voice was strong enough in my head that one day I did sort of literally just put the paintbrush down and with paint on my fingers, uh, start writing. Right. Uh, and that was the beginning of the story. You know, I didn't, and to answer your plot question and the intricacy of the plot, I did, I did not have it all figured out. And I, I pretty much never have it all figured out. Um, or if I have it figured out, it's bound to change. Um, I'm much more of a, um, you know, a, what they call a pantser, fly by the seat of the pants writer than a plotter. And, but it was enough to get me started. And, you know, once I'm started and I'm really sort of invested in that original sort of idea and those characters, um, plot sort of develops according to, you know, I put a, I, you have a, you have a, an event of some kind happen, something in this case, the, as you already said, the young woman goes missing. Um, and that sets everything else in motion. And now you're, all your characters or whatever few you have at this moment uh, have something to bounce up against in the world, in their world. Uh, other characters come in and, you know, when they come in, I'm not sure how important they're going to be. And there was a character in Descent who was constantly showing up. And I really didn't know why, except he, he kept antagonizing our family for for whatever reason. And, you know, about halfway through writing the book, um, I kind of didn't know, I kind of, the ending I kind of had in mind, I no longer wanted to get to. And I didn't know how to get to a different ending. And I literally stopped writing for probably a year. And what got me going again was a sort of um, an aha moment when I realized what that character was doing in the book and what he could right. do to get me moving again and people who've read it will probably figure out who I'm talking about but it was a it was a surprise to me that he was going to have this particular role in the book and and therefore I think it's one of the most satisfying surprises that the reader experiences because I wasn't you know I wasn't telegraphing it I didn't really anticipate it and you don't so you don't see that in the in the reading you don't you don't predict it and and I think that's an important um, part of the process for me is that I, I like to be, I like to figure out who the characters are as I'm going and be surprised by them. And that sort of dictates how plot goes, if that makes sense. Right. So you're almost saying, let me see if I've got this right, that the, that the story is really driven by just the character's actions. Um, or maybe I'm oversimplifying. No, I like to think of it that way. I mean, I, I think it would be a little disingenuous to say it's, uh, you know, the characters are writing the story. <laughs> it's right. ideas about what's going to happen to them. 
and you know, before I before I began writing about the Cortlands and descent, I knew I you know I kind of understood what was going to happen, and then one of their kids was going to go missing. Um, but as to the fallout, you know, everything that happens after, I try as much as possible to be true to what what people would actually do in those situations, and you know, based on who they are, my understanding of them, uh, and and my understanding of them changes over time. I I think they're like meeting. Um, real people you don't you know you and I don't know much of you know a little right. bit more about me because just from reading things but you know I couldn't tell you what you're going to do when you leave the studio uh you know and uh so yeah I have to I have to sort of get to know these characters like I would get to know anyone um and that that can take a long time you know it took me a good four or five years I think to write a first draft of that novel and so um I guess something that that always comes up when uh, you're you're writing a novel, I think that's interesting. Um, and you're writing about characters that uh, or places that maybe you don't necessarily relate to. How do you how do you make it realistic? Um, and like, let's say you're you're talking about folks from um, or or what it's like being. Um, from a small town out west, uh, or how this is like, for example, in the current, how a small town in Montana uh, is like going to react to to this news. Um, what is that like if you're if you're not coming from that town? How is how is it is it hard to write about maybe people's stories that aren't your own story? Uh, is it almost easier in some way? Uh, and how do you make it stay like a a, a true story? Uh, yeah, good. Good, thoughtful questions. Uh, well, as part of that answer, Montana is actually Minnesota. So in the current, right. um, Sorry about that. yeah. So the current, so as we already mentioned a couple of times, I'm from Iowa and and live in Iowa City currently, uh, and grew up in Iowa. Uh, it's a college town. It's not exactly a small town, but it's a it's not a city either. Um, and it's, you know, it's like many small towns, it's river adjacent, there's the Iowa River that flows through here. And as a youngster, uh, my father and friends of his would take us and other kids of our age um, canoeing on the upper Iowa River. We'd drive up there and put our canoes in the river and float downstream for several days, and our cars would be waiting somehow at the other end, um, it's, which is kind of the plot of deliverance but a lot less happened on our canoeing trips. And uh, so to imagine a small town on a river in Minnesota, which is, you know, your US geography is is a border, right. is one state away from Iowa above it, uh, is not a great, you know, it's not a great imaginative stretch. I didn't have to do a ton of research and uh, I just sort of imagined a smaller town than the one. And, and I've been in a lot of small towns in my, grandparents lived in small towns so when I when I was growing up I would visit them and I've got a pretty good grip on small midwestern towns in particular um and so I kind of just made up a town out of my mind uh up there even though I sort of understand geographically where it is uh I've never actually been to that part of Minnesota or probably driven through it but so I just sort of made up a town in my mind on the river it was important that it be on a river uh, and it was kind of in the vicinity of the upper Iowa River. And so in this case, it's not the um, 
it's it's not a real river, but it's it's close in name. It's called the Upper. I think it's called the Upper. Maybe it's just the Black Root River. Yeah, I think it's the Black Root River. Um, so that's how I imagine that town. And and you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the the attention to detail comes from patience. You know, and just and being in the moment and taking my time with whatever scene we're in, whatever character we're in, and trying to fully uh, experience that moment through that character's senses. Um, you know, the seeing and smelling and hearing and sometimes tasting and definitely right. tasting and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of my method. I kind of just, you know, I just try to stay in the moment as long as possible. And later, you know, if, it, if it's uh, if it feels a little labored or if I've gone, spent too much time trying to figure that out, it's easy enough. Well, sometimes it's easy enough, but it's easy enough to cut things out and get things moving. But that is how I sort of establish the reality of place uh, is, is just sort of by staying in that imagined place for as long as possible. And so one other, I guess, follow-up question to that uh, would be about writing a novel uh, and uh, making a novel. Obviously a novel could mean a bunch of different things. Uh, but you mentioned that you want your novels to almost feel realistic, and I could be mischaracterizing that. But um, how how does one keep a novel realistic? How do, how can you, um, as a writer, uh, like is it, is it difficult to to imagine stories that? especially when you're talking about pretty extreme situations, is it difficult to keep things within the realms of reality? Um, I, I don't know if that, that question makes sense to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead. It does. No, no. I, you know, and, I'm, and you know, even though my books, these three books in particular are sort of often found in mystery sections or thriller sections, I don't, I've never set out to write mysteries or thrillers. Um, I was, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I went to an, an, an MFA program in Massachusetts, and we certainly weren't studying how to write genre fiction in the MFA program. Right. Uh, in those days, nobody was, pretty much nobody was really um, teaching or practicing genre in college situations. Um, they mostly waited till they got out to do that. So, my training and my ambition was all in what we call literary fiction. You know, you mentioned a number of story, uh, publications where my stories have been published. And those are all very literary kinds of uh, publications. And so when I set out to write uh, novels, I was still thinking, you know, I'm, I'm writing in the realistic literary tradition that I've been sort of training in and reading in and, and what is the way I'd like to write. But I also wanted to not write a like a quiet literary novel i wanted something uh, with i wanted something of, of importance to happen to the character something with high stakes you know life and death stakes and so i dropped in you know these these sort of crime scenarios and they're not intended to signal ah now i'm reading a crime novel i'm reading a uh, a thriller they're they're just events that i think i think of as possible events but if you if you took right. just the plots and summarize them to someone uh they might say oh that you know that sounds like a hollywood movie or something 
Um, but there's almost nothing that happens in any of there's nothing I'd say there's nothing that happens in any of these books that you haven't read in the newspaper or and the news are probably talked about right, on your yeah. program um, that actually happened to people and 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 uh there's a number of you mentioned a number of young women get in trouble in the first these first two books and you know I think that's just the world we live in unfortunately and I actually I actually approached an agent early on about this the story I did sent and he actually told me in kind of a cranky way that no one would believe it you know and that's okay they're they don't have to believe it actually happened but they have to believe it when they're reading it that it that it could happen you know they have to get right. involved in it and I think that is just like if you have something that's incredible happening to your characters your characters just kind of have to respond to it as something incredible you know it's like oh this this thing has happened i can't believe this thing has happened um this is unreal and uh, devastating and so again it gets back to the characters and how they respond and what they do should be based on what real people would do in those situations and and to the best of my ability that's what i try to do i i try not to force anything um for the sake of plot or for the sake of mystery or whatever um I, as much as i'm able to i i try to uh have real realistic responses to what has happened to people Tim Reed, an excerpt from his latest novel, Distant Sons, released on October 17th, 2023. First, you might be wondering, where is the best place to purchase Distant Sons? Or for that matter, Descent, or The Current, or Irish Girl, or Never So Green? Well, I asked him, and he recommends bookshop.org. Bookshop.org works to connect readers with independent booksellers all over the world. Believes that local bookstores are essential community hubs that foster culture, curiosity, and a love of reading. And every purchase on the site financially supports independent bookstores. The platform gives independent bookstores tools to compete online and financial support to help maintain their presence in local communities. Not only this, since 2020, the platform has raised more than $30 million for independent bookstores. So if you want to purchase any of Tim's books, you can head to bookshop.org or any uh, other major uh, website where books are sold or your local bookstore. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to hand things back over to Tim so we can hear a bit of Distant Sons. No worries. Okay. May 1976. As the days grew longer, the boys would hurry through dinner and grab up their mitts again and fly out the door. Wait for your brother. Back to the schoolyard. Back to their places in center, at second, on the mound. The clouds they kicked up from the infield redder now, more brilliant in the dropping sun. Their own shadows taller in the dirt. Stretch shadows like forecasts of their future selves, then taller still. The elongate figures crouching, adjusting ball caps, pounding long, misshapen gloves. 
The brick wall that is the back of the school, so familiar and oppressive as, as they slog toward it in a weekday sunrise, watch your brother, is remade at sunset with bricks of gold, bathing the players in the joy of the hour of this almost done day near the end of May, 1976, spring of the American Bicentennial. The war in Vietnam over and gone from their living room TVs. Ms. Wheeler with her short skirt playing Bohemian Rhapsody, the whole thing on her record player. And Teddy Felt still staring at them big eyed from the announcements case. Teddy Felt with his black framed glasses and his parted mother combed hair. Fourth grader from Roosevelt across town who got off the bus one day and never came home, just gone one year ago this spring. Teddy Felt, whose name spoken into a girl's ear at close range, close enough to smell her hair, close enough almost to kiss her neck, would make her suck in her breath and cross herself. All this in junior high in the fall, from kings to twerps in three months flat, and none of it is anywhere near their minds as they stand in the dusk. Summer smell of glove leather in the air, smell of their own dusty, sweaty, grass-stained bodies their voices ringing on the golden bricks, and all of it conferring on each boy a feeling of his own greatness, his readiness, his sureness that the ball will come his way and will not get by him, punching his mitt, tugging the bill of his cap, hum batter, don't whiff batter. Only one of them can be right, only one, one boy's sureness borne out, and the ball itself chooses. It leaps from the bat with a diving, curving life of its own, and leaps again from the dirt in a fiendish sideways juke, hell-bent on the gap between second and third, a run-scoring single in the moment it reaches the grass, but it never reaches the grass. It is stopped, robbed absolutely by a lunging left arm, a backhanding glove, his. Glove and boy wheeling all the way around with the flight of the ball before he halts himself, a hopping sidestep toward first, securing his grip on the ball, and stepping into the throw, smooth as Morgan, deadly as Rose. The ball, a pink moon in the dusk, the spiraling red stitches. The first baseman's mitt open like a fish mouth, and the ball itself snapping shut the mouth with a deep slap of leather. End of inning, end of game. That throw, the whooping of his teammates, still replaying in his heart as he goes among the pines, antic and happy on the needle path, heading home. The day's last rays shooting slantwise through the trees like arrows, and the boy moving in that riddled light as in a pink netting, lobbing the ball into the air before him in mini pop flies and rushing to field them underhanded, Willie May style, to the amazement of the play-by-play -play man. Who boy, some catch by Milner. That voice, the soft skid of sneakers and pine needles, the quiet slap of the ball in the mitts web in the mitts webbing, the only sounds in all those woods. At the, assassin's, at the assassin's bluff, a low wall of rock from which a panther, or more likely the assassin himself, would pounce, the boy's shadow lurches across the wall's craggy face, leaping to snag a shadow ball among the shadow trees. Beyond the bluff, the path dives into the valley of bones, and here he descends in his headlong lope. Here, misjudges the ball, bobbles it, chases it down the path, the play-by-play -play man's voice rising in urgency as the boy descends as the runners advance until the boy arrives breathless in the floor of the valley, that darker, colder gloom, and stops where the ball has fetched up at the foot of a tree, pocketed among knuckled roots, gnarled roots like ghoul's fingers, tensed in the earth for just this prize, the ball so white and small and perfect, 
like a lure. And the boy, feeling such a chill then to the back of his neck, that he turns to see what has blown on him with its cold breath. Teddy felt, the silence says, like a whisper in his ear, that old game. And it's as if the picture itself, big-eyed Teddy felt in his black glasses, has followed him here to these haunted woods where it might at last become the living or not living boy himself. Joey Milner, Teddy whispers, and Joey's heart drops. The cold rushes through him, and he grabs up the ball and turns and flies, just flies. Wind and breath and pounding sneakers and thudding hard, all one great sound in his ears. And Teddy's sneakers pounding too, thudding with the blood. And there's the terror thrill of what is just behind, of what cannot be seen. Hands, grubby, dirty little hands, reaching. Joey, Teddy felt calls. Joey, wait up. We just heard an excerpt of New York Times bestselling author Tim Johnston's latest novel, Distant Sons. Distant Sons has received raving reviews. In the words of Michael Carita, New York Times bestselling author of An Honest Man, Tim Johnston returns in dazzling form with Distant Sons, an intricate, haunting novel sure to resonate with fans of Dennis Lehane, Peter Heller, and James Lee Burke. Johnston's plot is tense and his pacing swift, but he's after a bigger game here with questions of identity, intentions, and legacies, merging in a tale that will linger long after it is finished. He's also one of the finest prose stylists in the game, stacking polished sentences with a master's touch. Don't miss this one. And that's all we've got for you today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of Talk with the Town After Hours. I'm Jack Donnell, News Director for WVBR News, now coming to you from all your favorite podcasting platforms. Be sure to tune in to our live broadcasts of Talk of the Town on Saturdays at 3 p.m. on WVBR-FM, based in Ithaca, New York. Consistent with our mission to provide up-to-date, engaging, accessible content on a variety of platforms, After Hours allows you to access and share our reporting where at, wherever you are, whenever you want. Part of that mission also involves expanding our news coverage to multimedia platforms like our website, wvbr.com, you can look us up, and podcasting platforms like this. We'd also love you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WVBRFM News. I'd like to extend a special thanks to Tim Johnston. I'm also grateful to Mark Wish, who made setting up the show possible. Please be sure to check out all of Tim's works, including those we didn't have time to discuss on the air today. Finally, I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for supporting our program and our department's journalistic work. For WBR News, this is your host, Jack Dinellen.